Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. The scripture for you today, uh, it's from Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Dave, as you've already heard from the almighty Oz. Um, And I'm one of the pastors here, and it's uh, really a joy to be with you. It's fun, this thing that VG and I get to do, bouncing back and forth between congregations, because uh, we, you know, get to get this bigger picture of what it could look like to already be in this multi-site idea. So the reason we put this reach kind of comment video right at the beginning is obviously because it has its importance in the life of our church, and that's all I'm going to say about it right now. So... If you've been uh, with us for the past couple of weeks, then you'll know that we're in the middle or working our way through a series on wisdom. And really what we've been doing together is we've been saying, what exactly is wisdom? How do we come to understand it? Where do we get it? And then that means, how do we actually get it? How do we get this wisdom? And beginning next week and for the last three weeks of our series, we're actually going to move into uh, being a little bit more practical. And so we're going to start saying, uh, now that we've got some wisdom, what do we actually do with it? How do we actually, like when the rubber hits the road, how does this actually make its way? How does it actually play out in our lives? So speaking of wisdom, just to give you an example of this transition that we're in, understanding what it is and how we use it, I found this quote from Tim Keller, and he puts it this way. According to the Bible, Wisdom is more than just obeying God's ethical norms. It is knowing the right thing to do in the 80% of life situations in which moral rules don't provide a clear answer. He said that in the book, Every Good Endeavor. Now I hear a ringing, but that may just be in my head. Is it just in my head? No? Okay, good, perfect. Oh, wait, you hear it too or it's just in my head? Someone was saying no and I don't. You can hear it. So I'm just gonna keep going if that's okay, Howie. Is that what I should do? 
Yep, okay, perfect. So Tim Keller says this in Every Good Endeavor, and one of the things I love about it is that he drops this 80%. Uh, recently, I saw this thing online that says, don't just use random percentages to make your point. I, I mean, in the story, he, he, re he works out this greater understanding of this 80%, but basically what he's saying is most of the time in our lives, the majority of the times, we cannot go to the Word of God or anywhere else and get a simple right or wrong, up or down, left or right, yes or no kind of response, right? And so he talks about these ethical and moral questions that we might ask on a day-to-day -day basis. So I don't know if you've asked yourself this question, but should I steal a car? Okay, if you go to the Word of God, you're going to see that it's going to say, no, you shall not steal. Be satisfied with what you have and work hard. Don't steal anything. Maybe you got to face this question, well, should I trash talk secretly, though, my coworker behind their back so that I get the promotion instead of them? Well, we can go to the Word of God and say, no, you should not do that. You should not bear false witness. You should love your neighbor, right? Right, okay, yes, I know it's right, so I'm just going to keep rolling with that, okay? But more often than not, the decisions that we're making, are, as many as the decisions we have to make that are like that, we're actually thinking more around along the lines of what are these big picture questions that don't actually have a yes or no answer to them? Like, for example... If you go to the Bible and, and, and open it up and you ask yourself the question or you're trying to find the answer to the question, what is the best long-term care option for my aging parents? You are not going to get the exact answer for which way you should go. Maybe you're asking the question, which career path should I follow? Am I in the right program? And it's not like an eight ball, you shake it and look at it, right? Or you remember when your kid used to spin the globe and wherever you put your finger on, that was like the place you'd go in your imagination? The Bible doesn't work that way because wisdom is something bigger than just yes or no. Maybe you're asking, should I rent? Should I buy? Should I lease? And if I do, where should I do that? Maybe you're saying, how much of a loan should I take out or not? You're asking these kinds of questions and the reality is when we come to scripture, we don't get a crystal clear answer about those things. Is that because God doesn't have wisdom to share on it? No. But it's because wisdom and the application of wisdom is about what you do with what you've learned as opposed to just being told what to do all the time. So maybe we even think about this in the context of raising our kids or if you volunteer in kids ministry or youth ministry or somewhere with the next generation. We have this concern and I know because I did youth ministry for so long where I just wish I was with my students all the time so that way when they come face to face with a decision or a temptation, I could be there to guide them in the right direction. That's actually not wisdom. That's actually not teaching them wisdom. That's just telling them how they ought to live. And so there's a bit of risk-taking that's involved in sharing wisdom. We've got to learn. We've got to come together. We've got to see what God has said. And we need to then figure out how do we actually apply this. Wisdom is not just knowing something, but it's knowing what to do with what we know. And so that raises this next question. Uh, what if I don't know everything? Well, if you don't know everything, then you're actually taking the good, right first steps toward wisdom because one of the things we've been looking at over these past couple of weeks is that wisdom is something that is beyond ourselves. It's bigger than just us. It's bigger than just our own experiences. It's bigger than just the stuff that we know, the books we've read, the videos we've watched. It's so much bigger than ourselves. And so the beginning of wisdom is to actually come to this place and say, I need help. It's to actually come to the end of ourselves and to look around and say, where else can I gather this knowledge? Where else can I gather experience? How else can I make these decisions how do I do this? It's bigger than me. And one of the ways we've talked about it, two weeks ago, we looked at how Jesus is wisdom personified, right? He is the only true wise king, the ultimate king who is not just a representation of God in heaven's kingship, but he is God come to earth as king. And so if we want wisdom, which is living a life that is godly and honoring to God in all things, then the first thing we need to do is submit ourselves to King Jesus, but there's a second submission, and that is what Vijay spoke about last week, which is submitting ourselves to God's word. 
And he talked about eating this book for breakfast, eating wisdom for breakfast, taking in all of Scripture, what God has given us, and allowing it to give us spiritual nourishment so we actually have what we need to move forward. We have to submit ourselves to the discipline and to reading, submitting, submitting ourselves ultimately to God in reading that. And so coming to the end of ourselves and saying, I need help from someone else is not easy. It's actually very difficult. Why? Because we all want to be competent. I want to be competent. We don't necessarily want to have to go to other people. We want to be able to know everything that we need to know on our own to live our lives all by ourselves. But isn't like life way too complicated and way too big? And, and for many of us, doesn't it seem like life is just way too fast? It comes at you way too fast that you can't make all of these decisions on your own. And you're just like, whoa. So isn't it just too big? And the second thing is, why would we feel that we have to be all on our own when we're actually surrounded by a great diversity of people who have shared in so many different experiences and they're actually willing to share those things with us, to walk alongside us? Well, I'm, it's more than a hypothetical situation. I can actually think of a few reasons why we would maybe withhold asking other people for wisdom, why we would try and be competent all on our own. One of them might be, very honestly, maybe you've been in a relationship before where somebody uh, was trying to give you wisdom and trying to give you direction, and that actually turned sour, and it became actually controlling. And maybe it got to a point of being abusive, and so now there's been like some broken trust, and you don't know if you can go to other people with things because you're worried about how that might you know, get out or how that might be used to treat you wrongly. Maybe another concern you have is, well, my situation is so unique. No one's been through this exact type of thing, and, and so how would anybody else be able to share with me their experience if I'm really the only person who's ever been through it? Maybe we're just so Canadian that we don't actually want to bother anybody else, right? And this, even the very thought about, you know, taking somebody else's time and, like, asking them, oh, I don't know if they could ever give me, like, an hour for coffee or something, like, sorry, I didn't mean to bug you. Like, maybe we're just a little too Canadian in that, and we don't want to bother anybody else. We'll just live our lives side by side and interact and high-five when somebody scores. Like, that's what we'll do, right? Maybe you don't actually want to be influenced, but you want the blessing of other people, right? Maybe, maybe you're wrestling with this issue of, like, I do not feel affirmed, I do not feel accepted, and so I'm going to go to people and talk to them about what I'm thinking, but really all I'm doing is searching for their blessing. And whether or not they agree with me, or accept me, or, you know, whatever. I'm just looking for them to say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool, yeah, that'll work. When really, maybe in their minds, you haven't give, they're, they're thinking that won't work, but you haven't given them the relational opportunity to speak into that in a clear way. And so, our thing that we do here at church, if you haven't caught on on this yet, is we go to the Word of God and we see what does this say about this particular issue that we're, we're wrestling with. And so this morning, we're looking at how do we gain wisdom? How do we get wisdom? And as we come to scripture and ask that question, one thing we see over and over and over again is that it always is pointing towards other people. It's always pointing towards uh, the importance of community. It's always pointing to how valuable other people are to us and how valuable we are to them. And really, what we're looking at today is that wisdom is gained and given in the context of relationships. And Christian relationships and community are the best place to share in gaining wisdom with one another. And so we're going to look at a couple of different places. Let's start by looking at Proverbs. Okay, so Solomon, one of the wisest men ever to walk on earth, also one of the wealthiest people ever to, wa to walk on earth, wrote most of the book of Proverbs. And if you were to flip it open, one thing you might notice very quickly is that it looks like it's 31 chapters of just verse after verse, truth bombs being dropped in like this Twitter feed kind of layout. And you could just say, well, there's some truth over here, and there's some truth over here, and there's some truth over here. And if you're just reading through it quickly, you might say, it looks like these are all just disjointed thoughts that are all just thrown together. 
Like, I don't know if you use Twitter, but if you go back on Facebook or any type of social media and scroll through it, it looks like it's totally disconnected, even though it's all of your life being put forward. And that's actually what's happening. There is more to the book of Proverbs than just individual, pithy, short, little memorable truth things that are for us to remember. There's actually a context within which all of it fits. And that category, that context is wise living and and foolish living, really. And so Solomon, as he writes, he's saying, if you want to live a life that is wise, you will live a life that is honoring to God, and here's how you do that. Or you could live a life of foolishness, which is going to lead to destruction and ultimately death. That is walking away from God. And so everything he says fits within that context. But there's an even deeper level that we can go, specifically in the first nine chapters. If you look at the first nine chapters of Proverbs, and I encourage you to do so, one thing you're going to pick up on is it looks like there's a specific writer writing to a specific audience. And the reason for that is because Solomon, in the first nine chapters of the book, he's actually writing out these homilies that he gave to his son. A homily is not really a word we use a whole lot, but one thing, what it means essentially is like these are important things. So imagine today you saying to somebody, hey, we need to sit down, we need to have a talk about something. Right? And there's like an element of seriousness to it. And so Solomon is saying to his son, hey, we need to sit down. We need to talk about some important things. And what he does is he begins to talk about a variety of things that cover the entirety of his son's life. And he starts by saying, fools despise wisdom, right? This theme of the book. He says, fools despise wisdom, but true knowledge begins with fearing the Lord. That idea of coming to the end of yourself, realizing you can't do this anymore on your own. Then he goes into business practices and he says, listen, son, men are going to try and leverage you, leverage things out of you. They're going to try and coerce you into bad business deals. All they're trying to do is be crooks. They're trying to take your money. They're trying to mess your life up. You need to beware of these people. You need to be very aware that people are always going to take advantage of you. Then in another place, he says, son, above all else, guard your heart. He says, if your heart begins to go corrupt, then your entire life will be over. Right? And then what else does he say? He says, son, anybody who commits adultery, any man who commits adultery has no sense. And so sometimes when we think about talking to our kids about having the talk, Solomon actually includes that here. And he says, uh, enjoy the wife of your youth. The wife that God has given you is a blessing. Enjoy her. Lean into that relationship. Love her and be loved by her. Do not cheat on her. Do not look at the woman on the street corner that is always there tempting you. He says, as the woman on the street corner talks, it's like oil dripping from her lips. She's this this alluring woman. Don't even look at her. Don't even go by that that street corner. Don't even go there. Now, there's a whole bunch of other things he says in these chapters, but one thing that we could say right from the beginning is, well, on their own, are these truth statements, are are they true? Yes. Do they give us a bit of wisdom? Yes, they do. But what makes it even better is that there's this underlying framework that's happening. There's something, as we read between the lines, we see that something is happening behind the scenes that actually gives an incredible weight and depth to what Solomon is doing here. And this is actually usually the case in Scripture. There's so much more there when we understand what's happening underneath it. Solomon was writing this and saying this to his son when he was at the end of his, nearing the end of his life. And so really what he's doing is he's saying, son, I want you to hear what I'm saying because I did all of the things the wrong way and I don't want you to end up like I ended up. He's saying, son, I've been there. I've been to the woman on the street corner. I've cheated. I had more wives and more concubines than anybody could ever imagine. Son, it's wrecked me. Son, I did sign bad business deals, and I did find myself in battles that we were never supposed to go in, and I did misrepresent the Lord, and I did turn away from him and take things into my own hands. He's saying, son, I don't want you to do this. 
And he says, we can read in Ecclesiastes, which is this really dark book, actually, which Solomon wrote again at the end of his life. And the whole time he's saying, life is just, it's all work. And it's all vanity, and it's all about ourselves, and you're, it's meaningless even if God is not a part of it. And he says near the end of that book, in chapter 12, he says, remember your creator while you're young. And really what Solomon is doing here as he talks to his son, he's saying, remember God now. He's passing this wisdom on. And so more than just giving us truths, he's actually giving us a model for how we are to pass wisdom on to other people. And yes, here it happens in the context of a father to a son, but I actually think there's an element of it that we can take away for how we share in wisdom with other people. It requires us to be humble. It requires us to be authentic. It actually requires us to be risk takers. It requires us to be vulnerable because in order for Solomon to say to his son, son, don't go there, he had to say, don't go there because I've been there and it's not good. And I want you to see that there's a better way about this. And we don't often feel very comfortable doing this, do we? Because there's a rawness, there's a part of us that we don't want other people to see, that we want to keep hidden from other people because we, we're concerned about what they might think about us or how they might think differently of us now. I can think of a story of a, a young man that I've known for about 10 years. And, and over the course of, you know, into high school and end of high school, he got very involved in like partying and drinking and girls. And he was born and raised in a Christian family. And so his parents were obviously distraught to see this happening. And so they called me up and they said, can we go grab a coffee? And so we're sitting in Tim Hortons. And we're just talking through all of these things, all of their concerns. And, and the dad, I can see, he's got this look on his face, very serious. Like there's just something in his heart that is, that is hurting and sore. And I said, hey, what, what's going on? Tell me what you're feeling right now. And he says, it's just that I, I know how bad a path this is for my son because I did all of these things when I was younger. He says, I, I remember working way too much to get money, and then I would just blow it on stuff that wasn't important. He's like, I did drugs. I did drink. I was with a number of different women, all of that. And it just, like, until God saved me, he says, until God saved me and got my attention and transformed me and pulled me out of that, it was just the worst. And I said, whoa, have you told him that? No, I haven't told him that. I, I couldn't tell him that. Like, maybe if I do tell him that, then he's going to think, like, well, Dad, you turned out okay. So let me have my fun for a while, and then when I get a little older and I've got to hold a job and pay my own bills, then, then my life will turn out okay. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this is a difficult situation for the dad to be in because I could see this. I could see how challenging it was for him. But I also remember thinking to myself, are you saying that you have wisdom that is based on reason and logic and experience, and you don't want to share that with your son because you're a little worried about being embarrassed later on in life? And, and more than that, he said that it wasn't until God changed his life that he actually got out of all that stuff. So another thing I thought and kind of said to him in a nicer way than I will say right now, but was like, are you actually not going to tell your son about what God rescued you from and hold back giving God the glory that he rightfully deserves because you're too ashamed? And this happens to us all the time because it's difficult to be authentic. It's difficult to be raw in a, in a culture that says you need to put your best foot forward all the time. The problem is I've got two left feet and both of them are kind of ugly and I'm always stumbling, right? And, 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 and so this is the thing that makes it so difficult. But Solomon sets it up by saying, take a risk. Be willing to be vulnerable. Give the glory to God. And, and, and as you share about the things that you've been through, as you pass on your wisdom and your experience to other people, that they may grow in wisdom as well, remember that it's all about God. It's all about what he's done. Now, the Apostle Paul, as we flip into the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says this brilliant thing that kind of gives us a whole paradigm for thinking about this idea of transferring wisdom. And he says, follow me 
as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I imitate Christ, depending on what your translation is. And so what Paul is doing for us is he's actually saying, as we lead other people, we are in no way pretending or trying to be the ultimate source of wisdom in any relationship, but rather we are doing all that we can to point to the ultimate source of wisdom, that is Jesus Christ, who is Jesus Christ. And so this is another thing. We can have confidence when sharing the wisdom and the things that we've been through, talking about our experiences with others. We can be confident because it's not being confident in ourselves. We are saying, I've come to the end of myself, and I had to turn to Jesus for life and for salvation and for wisdom, and I only ever found it there. Would you come after him with me together? And so this actually liberates us and frees us up because as we're talking about all the things we've been through, we are not the hero ever. Jesus is always the hero. It's only because of what he has done. And so this is our next context that we have, the next relational context we have for gaining wisdom or sharing in wisdom in this relational sense, uh, the word discipleship. And this can be one of those big catch-all words. Typically here at, at Upper Room, we talk about being a follower of Jesus or being a follower of Christ or being a Christ follower or a Jesus follower or a Jesus person. We have a bunch of different ways of talking about it, really. But what we're saying is that if you're somebody who is interested in Jesus, if you've given your life to him, recognizing that he's given his life for you, that you've trusted in him, then whether or not you know it or like it, you're already a disciple of Jesus. You're already following him along. And so uh, a simple uh, picture of what discipleship could look like is, is something very basic like this. So we've got Jesus over here, okay? Some people think he had a beard. Some people say that the wisest people do. Um, and so we've got Jesus over here. He is functioning as the greatest source of wisdom, the only source of life, the one who transforms us, the one who has rescued us. He is where it, what it's all about, Jesus Christ. And what happens in Scripture, we see in the four, uh, gospel, uh, the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life on earth, is he actually looks back and he says, hey, to other people, come follow me. And he says to one person, hey, you're a fisherman, come follow me. And he says to another person, you're an accountant, come follow me. He says to another person, you're a whatever, come follow me. And so he goes to individuals and says, come follow me. But what happens is these people all say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. And then they begin to do that all together as a collective group of people. This is the beginning of understanding what discipleship is actually like. This idea of saying we are all being, we've all been called by Jesus to follow after him and we are together going to go and do this together. And so Christian discipleship, again, like the book of Proverbs, encompasses all of life. Different than mentorship, which is just like I want to learn a particular skill or how to run a business or do things exactly like you do. Well, it's a little different. We're looking at the broader elements of life. And so as Jesus taught and continues to show us through his word, he talks about money and he talks about sex and he talks about farming and he talks about loving your neighbor and he talks about being persecuted. And he talks about the whole everything that happens in life. And so what we get to experience is a group of people together trying to figure life out following after Jesus, who is the ultimate source of wisdom. And so that's why at Upper Room, we've got home groups, right? These smaller uh, circles, these, these living rooms, we've got these are sitting around tables where we discuss and we talk about what is it that Jesus has said to you? What is it that Jesus is showing you? What is it that you've been through? And in this group, we get to actually experience this together. We're not left on our own out in the woods. Discipleship, following Jesus, is not something that is meant to be done in isolation, and we'll actually notice, as you read through the Gospels, you see that the disciples, as they followed behind Jesus, Jesus would say something, and they'd be like, what did he mean by that, right? And they'd ask these questions. They'd be like, do you think he meant this? 
I think he meant that we could go and, like, you know, that we're going to be this. And, and others would say, well, hold on a minute. Like, he was talking about that. And, and, and I know that I'm being really specific with the examples. But the idea is, like, they worked together in figuring this out. They weren't left to themselves. They shared in a collective community of believers with other people who were trying to follow Jesus in that direction. But there's this other thing, too, that begins to happen. And I might run out of space here. And that is that as we're doing this, as we're following after Jesus, we're trying to gain wisdom from him. We also see that there are other people in our lives that we are getting the opportunity to influence. And so we say to them, hey, do you want to come have some conversations about, about God? Do you want to come and you know, just talk about where I've been in life? Because I think I can, I can give you some direction on that. And they're saying like, okay, yeah, well, I'll follow you, but I don't actually think you're like some type of guru. I don't think you've got it all figured out. And you're like, yeah, yeah, don't worry. I haven't got it all figured out, but I know the guy who does. And so we enter into this incredible opportunity to share in the wisdom that we've gained from God because we are never the ultimate source of wisdom. We're pointing towards the one that is. And so I hope that comes as a bit of encouragement to you that you would lean into these various uh, opportunities. And I'll talk about a few of them that we, put, that we have here um, to share in that wisdom, to realize, okay, it's all right. I didn't, I didn't save my own life. Jesus saved me, and I'm going to make everything about him which leads us to our last relational context within which we are able to get this shared wisdom. And that's what was read for us in Ephesians chapter 4, chapter, or for chapter 4, verse 1 to 16. Essentially what's being said here is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to the church in Ephesus. And actually what's interesting about Ephesus is that Timothy was the leader of Ephesus for a while, and Paul had a very distinct a discipleship relationship with Timothy. So Paul was saying, follow me as I follow Jesus, Timothy, so that way you can lead others to follow Jesus in the process. You can read about that in First and Second uh, Timothy there in your New Testament, two smaller books near the end. And so what Paul is saying, the big point that he's making in Ephesians is basically that Jesus has given up his life in order to make a way for all people from all walks of life whether they're Jews, whether they're Gentiles, whether they're pagan, whether they're whatever, no matter who they are, no matter who you are, no matter who we are, Jesus has made it possible for all of us to be brought in to share in this similar, shame, sa similar same community. He says this is the context that God has invited us all into. And so he says in verse 3, you must make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all. And then he says, but to each one of you, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. God, Jesus rather, well, God in his plan sent Jesus the Son who gave his life so that all who believe in him and trust in him for life and for salvation, all who are coming and saying, I'm going to follow after you, all of us can be made one body. Why? Because we're united around that one hope and that one faith and there's one father and there's one baptism. It's one, it's one, it's one, it's one. And here's the beauty of all of this, as far as I can tell. It's that when you take the most diverse group of people, doesn't matter their age, their ethnicity, their socioeconomic status, their hometown where they grew up, the sport that they're into, the thing that they do for work, whether or not they went to school, all of these things, it doesn't matter. All of these people have now been brought together and we're all saying, hey, we're all headed in the same direction towards Jesus. Let's go do this thing together. Which brings that question back. Why would we try to do any of this alone? Why would we think we're the only one? Why would we assume our situation is so unique when there are literally millions and millions and millions of other people 
that have all been saved and united into one family. In our setting, we don't have millions and millions of people, but we've got hundreds from all walks of life. And we can look at one another. We can look, to look at each other. Just do it. Just look around as best as you can. No, do it. Actually, I can see you not doing it. Some of you are. And as we look around and we see the diversity, one thing that should be leaping out of, like the joy that should be in our heart, I can't even say it, I'm so excited, is that I could never in my own life experience the shared experience of all the people in the room. Even if I tried. I just read an article about some guy, he's like 27 years old, and he's been to every country in the world. And I'm like, that's awesome. Like, what else have you done, and how did you do that, and how many miles did you collect? But, but we don't get experiences like that. We get something better. We get people from every nation and every tongue, from every walk of life coming together and saying, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. Let's go follow Jesus together. Let's figure this out. We are not alone in this. And I'm not talking just about the Sunday morning setting. There are a whole bunch of different contexts or settings that we get to do this in. Sunday morning is absolutely important. You're here preaching to the choir, I know. But it's important to us because what God has done, it actually says in verse 11, Jesus has given specific roles. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So God gives specific roles to specific people, specific graces that he's apportioned, that he's dished out. Why? So that we may share that with others, that they may, verse 12, in order to equip the people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness in Christ. So when we gather as a community at large, whether it be here or whether it be our kids or our youth ministries that are meeting or when you're a part of a men's event or a women's event or a young adult event or whatever it is, when we are together with the collective body of people, we are being exposed to others that God has chosen and given as a gift to each one of us. So we can say, hey, how's your, how are you doing? Hey, I'm, I've been dealing with this issue in my life. Can you, can you, have you ever been there? Do you know anything about that? And sometimes we don't know what's going on, but we can say, well, I don't know what's going on, but I know this person over there does. And ultimately, all together, we're saying we know Jesus, and he can help us through this together. We're not alone. We're on this journey together. And so be honest with yourself, right? How often do you find yourself asking for help to clean up the mess you've gotten yourself into instead of first submitting yourself to the others around us and saying, hey, I'm working through this big decision. In a, in a little while, in just a few minutes, actually, um, we're going to begin to walk, we're going to go through communion. And Tony's going to lead us to, um, through that exercise of the Lord's Supper, the, the, the bread and the cup, which gives us this unified activity, this thing that we all do together, which reminds us that it's Jesus' body given and Jesus' blood shed that enables us all to be united. And, and that levels the playing field. That allows us to be humble. Why? Because Jesus was humiliated on a cross. He gave it all so we could have life and we get to say, okay, we're all here in this thing together following after him. And yet why do we still try to do it for ourselves? Why do we try and do it all on our own? Like I could think of an example of somebody who comes and says, hey, I'm engaged. And you're like, what? I didn't even know you were dating. And, and, and then maybe you're like, it's so nice to meet you. This is not going to work well. Like you're thinking this stuff, right? And, and the, it's like, why wouldn't you, if you're in a situation like that, go and ask for, what? hey, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about this girl? Why wouldn't you invite them into this process, right? Before, I, I love watching Dragon's Den and, and Shark Tank. 
And, and one of the things that, it, that blows my mind is sometimes how people, I was watching one the other day, how a lady had invested 750000 of her own money into her business and made like eight grand. That's all she'd ever made. Like th- I'm not good at math, but I'm certain that's not good, <laughs> a good situation. And, and so the, the, I don't remember if it's the sharks or the dragons or whatever, but they said to her something like, hey, what, how did you get so far down this path? Well, you know, I just figured it's family business. We figured out, you know, we've been in business for a long time and da 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 da. And then, so they start to give wisdom, but it's actually after the fact, way after the fact when she's incurred a tremendous amount of debt. Now, I don't know where you're at in your business and all that kind of thing, but, but why wouldn't we seek out the collective wisdom of other people who've been there or done something similar before being so far down the road that we don't even know how to get ourselves out of our hole of debt? We have access to that all the time. Maybe you're making a huge life decision. Maybe you're thinking like, man, I believe God is actually calling me to, to leave my school, to leave my job, to, to do something on the other side of the world, to bring the gospel to a place where nobody has ever heard it. I think he's calling me to do that. Now, he very well may, may be doing that. I would love to talk about that. That gets me excited. But one thing you shouldn't do is say, I'm going to quit all those things and then go figure it out. Mm-mm, don't do that. But sometimes we do and we realize, oh, I don't even have the money to buy a plane ticket now. If only had I thought. You can go and talk to so many different diverse missionaries, people who've done this before, Tap into their knowledge base and say, hey, I don't have all the answers, but we can, we can figure this out and move forward together. Let's take advantage. Let's lean into the community around us. We have a couple of ways that we do this in Upper Room, which I think um, are very, very helpful for us. So the first thing I'd encourage you to do is ask the discipleship question. And you can do this as soon as the service is finished. Just look to the person beside you and say, hey, you're a disciple of Jesus, right? And if you don't know if you are, just answer honestly. Say, I don't know. And then start having that conversation together. But you might want to say, hey, are you, are, you, are you being discipled by anybody? Like, is there somebody else who has said to you, follow me as I follow Jesus? And maybe they're going to say yes. Maybe they're going to say no. Maybe they're going to say yes and tell you of an incredible relationship that they have. Maybe they're going to say no, but I, I feel like I ought to be. And then you, together, as a diverse group of people, get to walk into that thing together. Ask the discipleship question. Don't just make the assumption that all of us are being discipled or all of us are being led to follow Jesus on an individual, more personal basis. We have this idea in our culture, which is, well, I listen to like four podcasts a week from all these different preachers. It's like, yeah, but if they don't know your name, they are not discipling you. There's no such thing as like drive-by discipleship. It's like this intimate, we need to have a conversation and sit down and lean in and get to know all of life. Second thing I'd encourage you to do is to lean into small groups. Again, smaller communities of people where we are taking what we've learned on a Sunday morning, our, 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 our life groups are sermon-based discussions, where we can learn what we've been taught and then we can see how it intersects with our real life. Where we get to be in this place right here where we get to say, hey, what did he mean when he said that thing? How did you interpret that? Uh, Well, I'm going through this issue with my family, and you're going through that issue with your job. Is it possible that whatever was taught actually interacts with with both of us? The answer is usually yes, and we've got to spend time working that out. Home groups are not, uh, they're not about information transfer. So our home groups are not meant to be a place where somebody gets up and starts teaching and and, and unpacking a, a whole passage. That's what's meant to happen here when the community is at large. And then we break up and we go into these smaller groups and we have these conversations together. So your groups could maybe be on one side or the other. Maybe on one side of it, uh, you are the leader or someone else is leading it. And all they do is you just, like it's their opportunity to have a pulpit. And that's not what home groups are meant to be. But you might be so far on the other side. See that? So far on the other side. That's because of the cord there. 
so far on the other side where all you do is talk about life and it actually never interacts with the truth of what God has spoken to us as an entire community. So we're supposed to be like in the middle and we're talking it out with one another and we're praying for each other and we're saying, hey, how did that thing go? How, what, what, how did you come to that decision? It's like, I've been there before. Let me pray for you. Or, or maybe we're saying, I have no idea what to do, but all of a sudden we've tapped into a network of people and we say, I don't know what to do, but I know someone else who maybe has been there before. So lean in there. Number three, take advantage of Sunday morning, which is where we are right now. And, and I'll talk specifically about this room. Take advantage of being a part of the collective group of believers that come together. But like I already said, whenever there's a broader group of Jesus followers together. Lean in, take advantage of those times. Scripture actually tells us, do not give up meeting together. One of the great uh, valuable things we have in our, uh, that we have today is technology, and that is, if you miss out on a Sunday morning, you can go and get the podcast, you can watch the video, you can listen to it online. That's a great thing if like you're sick, or you have to be away, or something is going on. It is the absolute worst, terrible, never recommended thing to do if you don't come here to the broader group anymore because you just say, oh, I can get it online anyways. Why? Because then you're in isolation and you're not experiencing the fullness of what Jesus has purchased for all of us. And again, I know it's preaching to the choir, but for some of you, maybe it was a, it was a hard decision to get here. It took a lot of work. And all I'm saying is like, it is so worth it when you get here because in this room, when our groups are meeting in other places, God is doing something supernatural by allowing us so varied people from such different walks of life to come together and be focused on him moving in one direction together. Don't miss out on that. Another thing that maybe you're not aware of, I don't know if we've ever really talked about this, but it's that on Thursday afternoons at 3.30, Tony, VJ, and I get in a room and preach out to each other whatever we were going to be preaching on the Sunday. So one thing that happens as we plan out our year is we whiteboard like crazy. We've got all these ideas. And then each week, so this week, because I'm here, VJ is doing this same sermon he preached last week at Bolton right now. Okay. So this week, because I'm preaching here Thursday afternoon, we got in a room and I preached out my notes and went through all my stuff and we were able to talk it through. When I started doing this in October, I was terrified. I know Tony and VJ, they're nice guys. I didn't think they were going to hit me or anything. But I'd rather, because sometimes you're like, man, this is like so intimate and so personal. I know I'm going to say it to 200 people, but like there's something about the meditations of my heart. And one thing I've realized is that none of us individually were ever meant to be an authority over a group of people. But as a leadership team that we believe God has entrusted and put over the congregation, we are to actually speak to one another and discern what God is saying together. So that way we can say at the end of it, this is what we believe God is saying to the church at large. And so that's an important process for us. We're not just telling you that you should do this. We're actually practicing it in our own lives. And it's hard, but it's worth it. Number four, encounter God in community at our monthly prayer nights. So at the end of each month, we have something called encounter prayer nights where we meet at the hub and we read scripture together. We worship in song together. And then we pray. We pray for one another. We, we praise God. We ask him. We say, God, what is it that you're saying to me as an individual? What is it that you're saying to us as a group? And then we spend time sharing what we've heard. This is a process of group discernment. Does this require humility? Yeah, because sometimes God moves in us in such a way that we don't even know how to express it. Or sometimes we're like, that sounds really, really personal. God, do you want me to say that? And then what happens when we do? There's like five other people that are like, whoa, he said the same thing to me. And there's this excitement that comes because we get to say as a group, he's actually speaking to us. He's actually moving us in a direction. And to miss out on an opportunity to pray, to interact with the Almighty, what a mistake, what a loss. Which leads us to this last thing. Join us at the REACH conference. 
So we saw this video of what Vijay was talking about, but there's so much more here than just an announcement for an event. It's so much more than just wanting to pull numbers. We want as many people as possible to come to this, uh, to this, uh, this, um, to this gathering next Saturday at the Hub so we can go to the Word of God and we can see what does he actually say about multiplication, evangelism, reaching the lost? What does he actually say? How does that impact or influence our church community? How is this going to maybe shake up and change the way that we've done things before? And then we're going to spend time doing what we do best. We're going to eat, we're going to pray, and we're going to talk. And together, we are going to listen to God and we are going to try and discern where is it that you are moving us at large. Why? Because it's not just a few of us who make decisions for the whole. God has brought us all together to work through this thing together. And so really, you might be saying, I don't actually know if I want to move or I don't know if I want to be a part of this. I don't know how I feel about it. And that's if, how, if that's how you think, then you're actually a prime candidate to be a part of this thing. Because we're not looking for anybody to come and give us any answers. We're just looking for a bunch of people to come with a posture of humility and go before God and say, what should we do, Lord? Let's do that thing together. Tony's going to come and lead us in communion in a minute. And as he gets ready for that, I want us to just think about this. Think about the last six months or, or year. Think of one decision you made in the last six months or a year that you would like, if you could just get that decision back. If you could just do, you, if you could have thought about that differently, what, what is it that you would have done different? Is it the consequence you're living in now that you're like, Oh, if I, w- I wish I just knew. Is it, is it what, what is it? Just let, let God speak that into you. Hear, l- hear from him on that. What would you do different? What's one thing you might do different knowing what we've learned so far in this series? What's one thing now that you might do different for the next decision that you have to make that will, that will lead to a wiser, more God-honoring situation? Think back on the decision where you went wrong and where things didn't really work out because you, you just wish you could get it back and you were left with a lack of peace. You're just like, man, I've got regrets about this. I do not have peace in my life. What would you do different now? And what are you going to do different now with the next decision that you have to, to work your way through? The truth is we can't always get back the decisions we made in the past, but we have the opportunity to lean into the community around us to get a shared wealth of wisdom and experience so that way we can ensure that that doesn't happen again with the next one. That's what Jesus has purchased for us. Let's take advantage of that. Let me pray. Jesus, we do praise you and thank you for what you've made available to us. That you gave your life so we could be made one. That we could come in and be children of God. We could be your brothers and sisters. Jesus, thank you that you've called us and invited us to follow after you. And that we can point to you as the ultimate source of wisdom. And so, Jesus, I just pray for us on a couple of levels here. One level is that those of us who have been withholding wisdom or experience from other people. God, I pray that you would humble us, give us great confidence and assurance in who you are, that we would be okay telling others where we've been because ultimately that's telling what you've got us through. Maybe we're on the other end of this thing where we, we maybe don't have a lot of wisdom or we don't know what to think because we haven't had a lot of experiences, but for some reason we're caught up in this lie that we have to do it ourselves. God, humble us as well, that we'd be able to come to you and say, God, I need help. And that you'd go to other, that we would have the confidence to go to other people and and be vulnerable and say, can you please help me make this decision? What did you do? What would you do? In all of this, Jesus, as we follow after you, help us in all ways to just look to you and point to you in all the ways that we share wisdom. Thank you, God, for being a good God who gives us access to life, who gives us access to your wisdom through your word and through Jesus. All of this we pray in your name for your glory. Amen.